0: Everyone, thank you so much for joining us today for the first interview in our new 3D and tea interview series. Uh, we're really excited to be delving into interesting topics concerning 3D printing and medicine over tea or any hot beverage of your choice. Um, my name is Olivia Sifa and I'm the editor of 3D MedNet and I'm joined today by two really special guests. Um, we've got Dolores Serrano and Caterina Lalazza. So welcome both. Um, Just to start off this discussion about the uses of 3D printing in cancer studies specifically, um, I just wanted to ask you both to please introduce yourselves. Uh, So
1: maybe we can start with you, Dolores. Thank you very much, Olivia, for your kind introduction. I am Dolores Rano. I'm working at the School of Pharmacy in Complutense University of Madrid as a senior lecturer currently. Great, thank you. And Katerina?
2: Hi, my name is Katerina Arlacza, I'm a reader in nanomedicine at the University of Portsmouth in the UK, and my background, part of nanomedicine, is essentially working with microfluidics and particularly with 3D printing of microfluidic devices in the areas of cancer.
0: Great. Thank you both. And so um, I'm just kind of interested to to know what sparked your interest in 3D printing. It's obviously quite a niche area of technology. And why were you interested in applying it to cancer studies?
1: Um, I don't know who wants to start. (laughs) I think we started five years ago. And we just listened one one conference to one of the main speakers from UCL. Mm. And it was like, wow, this actually has potential. I never seen before the concept of three D printing in medicines. Mm. From this point on, we have started working with three D printing of tablets and other solid dosage forms. And from this point, we have moved on into other areas like microfluidic chips, trying to apply to organ-on-a-chip and so on.
2: Mm, my views are a little bit different. I actually was working on a project on glioblastoma and particularly I was working with the Brain Tumor Center here at the University of Portsmouth. There was a lot of work towards developing integrated models that they can actually depict better the cellular, uh, the tumor and cancer interface. And in that case, I was more interested in developing uh, bioprinted cancer cell models that we can actually use better in order to develop uh, and screen better therapies and medicines and to mimic better the environment of the tumor. So we can actually test our therapeutics, potentially in difficult areas like cancer metastasis, for example. Yeah, or permeability across the blood-brain barrier model, for drugs and an area of uh, glenoglastoma tumors as well.
0: Mm. So it seems like from your answers, obviously 3D printing applies to cancer studies in a lot of different ways, and you can be interested in it through a lot of different kind of avenues. I was just interested in what you would think would be the kind of main applications for 3D printing in medicine. Like what are the kind of obvious ones that people use it for mostly?
2: Um, I think one that we have in common, sorry Dolores, I think one we have in common is probably trying to develop 3D printed anti-cancer dosage forms. And there are different ways to try to do that, either by, for example, creating local chemotherapy implants, which is something that currently is actually happening, or paten- potentially even uh, personalized implants that I think Dolores we are working on.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think everything I started focused in solid dosage form like tablets. Mm. But now this area has really been expanded because, okay, the price of a tablet it can be more limited, but in terms of implants, it can really be personalized for people. This is why the, the chemotherapy can really be formulated using these new technologies so of 3D printing.
0: Mm. Why do you think this new technology is now kind of being in- integrated into cancer studies? So, what does in other words, what does 3D printing offer to cancer studies that other technologies before couldn't, couldn't do?
2: For example, if we take the case of implants, uh, 3D printing can allow for the implants that particularly can mimic the architecture of the excision site. So if, for example, a patient has a breast cancer, a breast tumor, and they actually have surgery to remove the tumor, the implant can be printed to match the architecture and uh, dimensions, essentially geometry, of the excised tissue. The same applies, for example, to glioblastoma. When the patients undergo surgery, there needs to be actually something in place to support the remaining brain tissue. So 3D printing, apart from providing a localized therapeutic, that allows the delivery of high concentrations locally of chemotherapy, it can actually provide support to the remaining tissue in a personalized Mm -hmm. manner based on the uh, architecture essentially of the tumor that has been excised.
0: Yeah, and so, so how are these in vitro cancer models actually 3D printed? How does that process work?
2: Um, the benefit really of having the cancer models with video printing is that you can actually mimic one element that is quite difficult to do in vitro, which is essentially angiogenesis. Angiogenesis remains one of the hallmarks of cancer. However, it's very difficult to actually mimic on a petri dish. So by using, for example, bioprinting, you can develop uh, the vessels in the dimensions and architectures that you would like. And by using sacrificial uh, bioprinting, and polymers that you can potentially wash away you can allow to develop essential structures that mimic closer what we're actually seeing in the clinic with cancer patients
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah.
0: and in terms of the kind of drug testing and having pers- uh, personalized um, cancer medicines how does that come into the whole 3D printing and cancer studies kind of area
2: so, for example, if we take again the example of the blood vessels, you might, have, you might design them in such a way that you have leaky blood vessels that we normally have in cancer or potentially blood vessels that don't have these parameters. And you can actually see the differences in penetration of the drugs to these particular structures. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And if we go towards more of the personalized therapies, like solid dosage forms,
1: Laurie, mm-hmm. if you want to discuss that. In terms of solid dosage forms, you can also... Adapt to the dose that the patient needs. Actually, this is currently done in intravenous chemotherapy, but it is easier because you just mix in a bag, infusion back the doses that the patient needs. But in terms of oral chemotherapy, you could actually combine the drugs that this patient particularly requires. So it will be an advantage for personalization. Mm-hmm.
0: And how have you two kind of personally used 3D printing in your study, in your research so far, and in the studies that you've done?
2: I think in a variety of ways. I think one of the areas is definitely we are working towards developing personalized therapies by adjusting the dose of the chemotherapeutic that is needed in individual patients towards oral formulation. But for example, I also worked with developing materials for bioprinting, particularly based on cellulose nanocrystals. So the idea is to develop materials as protective and hydrogels into which, for example, I can entrap uh, different chemotherapeutics or potential peptide therapies that have anti-cancer properties towards developing an implant that will allow for control release of these therapeutics into the tumor site.
0: Mm, yeah that's really interesting and, and Dolores how, have, how is 3D printing featured in your work?
1: In this case I'm more focused on bone delivery mm-hmm. so in this case if you have um, to target places where the chemicals cannot reach you can potentially print implants that they adapt to this specifically gap or area of the body that the, the drug needs to arrive. So based on the, on the images that doctors get, MRI or something like that, you can also predict what is the morphology or the implant that you need to integrate your chemotherapeutic to reach to these tumors that are more difficult to target or to access.
0: Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah, the kind of applications of bioprinting, but then also surgical tools to help in like um, cancer surgeries yeah that's super interesting um so in your opinions what are the kind of most major advancements so far that 3d printing has helped in cancer studies for
1: i think there are two different separated areas one is to manufacture medicines and the other is to manufacture in vitro models that closely mimic the, the cancer environment the tumor mm. environment So I think that in terms of the tumor environment, the concept of organ on a chip has developed much faster during the last two, three years maximum. And it goes in the proper direction because till now I think organoids, Katrina has more experience on that, but organoids was like the the 3D atmosphere, but now with the organ on a chip, this can be mimicked closely. And in terms of medicines, this is moving much faster, but there are different types of printing techniques So also you need to decide that depending on the the medicine that you want to print, which technology you should use that doesn't degrade your drug, that can create more accuracy or more resolution when you print and so on.
2: So, if I mirror that a bit, so I think in the area of bioprinting, I think advances have been made in areas of metastatic tumors, it was quite difficult to prepare, in areas that we want to mimic more closely, the extracellular matrix, in areas where angiogenesis is really important in our studies also, and then the chip models are allowing essentially to study Drug uh, delivery to these tissues, but also particle delivery, so nanoparticular drug delivery into this t- tissue, and study that delivery under flow conditions, which is much difficult to do in a classical 2D cancer model that we have been using more or less so far into drug development. yeah mm-hmm. So understanding essentially the flow properties of our particles within these tissues allow us to understand better the way they will behave and the biology of the behavior of these systems in the body.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting to see, again, in so many ways that 3D printing has helped in cancer studies. But I suppose on the flip side of that, what do you see as kind of the main challenges that face the use of 3D printing for cancer studies? What, what kind of things uh, are kind of in the way and how do we get over them to, to continue using 3D printing in medicine for cancer specifically?
2: I think for me, one of the issues is still the materials. That the mm-hmm. materials that we can actually use are expanding, but there are still not as many as potential most of us would probably like, uh, which limits essentially the interaction of the cells with these materials in some ways. Uh, the materials are also very important because without the correct materials, you cannot get the architecture detail that you are actually expecting from 3D printing. And that is a lot more challenging for bioprinting than classical, for example, fused deposition modeling. Yeah, so a part of the materials, and I think the, you know what I mean, uh, having the correct material that will actually allow yourselves to grow and integrate in the format that you want is critical. So I think one of the areas is that for me, that essentially needs definitely to be expanded. Uh, other things that I can think of is that sometimes it's quite difficult to integrate the different types of bioprinting or printing techniques within the same printers. And it, that it is mm-hmm. quite time consuming to develop models and requires particular expertise to develop uh, good models essentially that can be reproducibly uh, giving you the results that you want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So reproducibility the of these models and essentially good quality materials with adequate rheology and properties that can integrate well within the cells, I think for me are the two uh, main challenges I think going ahead. Uh, there is work on how to actually try to optimize that, but I think there's still a little bit more work in terms of managing to get a good branding in the lower end, yeah, and a good resolution, particularly towards creating blood vessels.
1: Mm, and also to bring it to the clinical translation, I mean, Katrina is running now a project to bring this technology to the hospital because ideally you should be manufacturing these medicines in the hospital to deliver it to patients. It's not so straightforward Mm. We need. I mean, the process has to be simplified. This is why it's like they're a bit more reluctant because you want to manufacture medicines that you are certain about what you have produced, and still you have some limiting issues like the how you clean the 3D printer to avoid cross contamination. So these steps has to be simplified or making make it easier mm. for hospital pharmacists to apply. Yeah. So, so even if we talk about personalized medicine
2: in that respect, we still need to be able to produce quality formulations yeah, for our patients. And we need to actually have enough proof of concept studies to validate that this is actually the case yeah, happening in the clinic or in industry for that matter. For industry, it's a little bit easier because that can be part of the batch process manufacture. But I think if you try to actually do it in a hospital environment, that does require to be demonstrated. Yeah because we don't have the same type of expertise available in these
0: facilities. Mm. And I'm just wondering, because obviously you're mentioning, you know, the applications in, in, in hospitals and in practice, what are the kind of regulatory issues that face 3d printing? Because it's obviously such a kind of new and, you know, quite a breakthrough technology in ways. And with that, as with all things that concern, you know, the medical world, there's regulations that have to be abided by. So what are the regulatory issues that kind of come into play when we talk about how we can apply 3D printing in hospitals and, and so forth?
2: So an easy example will be considering solid dosage forms that typically, uh, in order to get actually licensing, you need mm-hmm. to characterize the release profile and then overall, for example, bioavailability. But that might not be the case, and the same uh, the same, essentially, uh, regulatory framework might not apply in the same way as with the printed dosage form. Again, based because of the materials that we are actually using to prepare these formulations. So, majority of the formulations is for majority of the formulations it's much easier to obtain control release, yeah. And sometimes it's much harder to obtain the immediate release profile. And if you do, you might end up with a more complicated formulation overall. Yeah. -hmm. So, in terms of regulations, if you are trying to to actually do pilot studies in 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 a hospital or in a clinical environment, you need to actually, as you know, research demonstrate that you can actually produce quality dosage forms reproducibly uh, with the adequate dose, and you need to validate that the expertise that you have on site is able to tell and characterize the formulation as well, which is not that easy at the moment. As it is. Typically, hospital pharmacies, at least in the UK, are able to work with parenteral formulations and assess them for quality, but not so much when it actually comes to oval solid dosage forms, and particularly even further for 3D printed dosage forms for that matter. Yeah.
0: Mm. And Dolores, do you have any other insights you'd like to add? I think the printers
1: have to be really adapted to avoid cross contamination, because especially in the laboratory, when you swap. From one formulation to another, there is some certain risk that you drag some uh, remnant from the previous drug or previous medicine. So I think this is unacceptable from a hospital point of view. I think the new printers have to uh, adapt or they have to be easier to clean or new cartridges, they should be used when you change the type of formulation. Because without this, I think the authorities are not going to really approve or allow this type of manufacturing.
0: And so, you know, considering these regulatory issues and, you know, issues that we've spoken about, the limitations of 3D printing and the challenges, how do you see 3D printing when applied to cancer studies? Do you see it as something that has, you know, a lot of potential in the future? Do you see it as something that should be integrated with other technologies? How do you see, yeah, 3D printing generally when
1: when we apply it to cancer studies going forward in the future? Now, it is currently used to predict, uh, to guide um, different surgeries. For example, when the patient has a tumor, they actually print the tumor and they try to understand the different surgeons, how they're going to operate with these models so that they can actually touch and visualize. Mm. So this is already done, but from this point to actually move it into clinical translation, it will take us a few years to mm. make it possible.
2: I think, again, it has to be able to demonstrate that the materials that we are using actually do not require further toxicology, that they're actually materials that we can already uh, use in humans without any issues related to that. The other issues, the materials, if you're talking about implants potentially that will stay in the patient, they need to demonstrate how they will actually be biocompatible and demonstrate that that is not going to cause further concerns in the long term and that they're actually able to maintain their physical properties in the long term if they are not going to be dissolvable in the body, yeah? So we need to actually maintain, if for example, it's a breast implant, that will maintain the shape and the strength over time and won't necessarily fall apart when the implant essentially is integrated in the body. Um, Other issues potentially is sterilization of this material if we're talking about implants, for example, yeah? And if we go back to our forms, I think that will be something that the clinical community will welcome the ability to personalize the dose to avoid side effects. So I actually think that a combination between making the printers a little bit easier for clinicians or clinical personnel and professionals to actually operate and ensuring that there is no contamination issues that they can be safely used potentially even by patients will actually allow the essentially uptake of this technology much faster into the clinical environment. Uh, now, if we're talking about particularly the bioprinting and the models, I think, again, I don't see particularly any issue bringing the technology because that's more a research environment and not necessarily so clinically regulated. However, again, the material has to demonstrate the safety and toxicology to ensure that the sensory doesn't affect the way these models are produced, essentially, and the results that we get for testing our medicines or potential drugs uh, into these models.
0: Mm, yeah, really interesting. Thanks. Sorry, Dolores, did you have something else?
1: I'm lying with Catalina's comment. I think that we are moving from 3D printing to 4D printing, mm. in which actually these materials that are inserted in the body change over time. For example, in breast tumor, if the patient needs to do a mastectomy and remove the breast, you can put an implant that over time the shape is changing based on the physiognomical, physiological characteristics of the patient. So there is another four variables that is time that you need to modulate with this implant. Potentially has been done in research, but okay, again, it will take some time until this can be translated.
0: Mm, Yeah, really interesting. Thank you so much for your answers. I just kind of wanted to end on, I suppose, more of a personal note, um, just following on from International Women's Day that happened last week, um, I was just wondering, you know, as women working in STEM careers and in 3D printing, um, I just wanted to kind of open up the floor to ask if, you know, there were any things that you wanted to share about maybe how, you have felt that your gender has played a role in the development of your career. And obviously, 3D printing is very kind of man dominated area of research specifically within science. So, um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to ask about yeah, your experiences of being women working in 3D printing.
2: I would probably say this is quite interesting for me because I would probably say that I had less in, uh, sometimes I do struggle with engineering background coming from a pharmacy area and sometimes uh, it's harder actually to find female engineers so sometimes uh, I don't know I don't think that it's difficult to call to collaborate or it makes any difference in that respect but sometimes I think yes there are a lot fewer women yet that work in this field compared for example in pharmacy that I have to say, it's probably female dominated I would probably say on the opposite <laughs> side. So for me, it's a little bit a different process to actually work in this area. Um, apart from that, I don't know. I don't think that it particularly has impacted in any way negatively or positively. I can't say that per se, but I would probably say, yes, there has been a difference actually in the way uh, of working and particularly the thinking sometimes yeah, <laughs> about how to develop the materials further. I don't know, Loli, what do you think?
1: I think especially in research, when the equipment breaks, you have a lack of female engineers, this I agree about that. In terms of pharmacy, I don't think there is any difference. There is equality in terms of development. But okay, we go again to these women in STEM sciences, that maybe is a bit more. We are trying. Too, but we haven't reached there still. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, think,
2: I think I would probably say, yeah, I would probably agree that uh, bioengineering is a little bit more male-dominated, I would probably say, than farmers, at least to my liking. Yeah. <laughs> However, I think that's also an opportunity because there's a lot more uh, early career researchers that are actually coming into the field, and 3D printing is actually a new field, and attracting more essential female talent into the field, I think it's probably the right way to go.
0: Mm, yeah great well yeah we hope we hope to see obviously more female representation in the field as we progress um but thank you so much for those answers um really interesting I feel like I've learned a lot about 3D printing and its uses in cancer studies um is there anything that you'd like to add before we round off this little podcast
2: um I don't know. I think that we should keep going and I think we should keep bringing our technologies further. I think that will be my last comment. (laughs) Dolores, any last comments?
1: I think that lately the concept of startups and spin-offs is really moving further. And this is what we should try to do from universities. At least, for example, from my PhD students, I try to push them to actually try to Make their research to come out from the university and try to reach hospitals because really there is a, a niche there, a uh, necessary clinical need. Mm. So this is the work uh, of work from the universities to try mm. to make it moving forward, not only in research but in clinical translation
0: great thank you so much for those rounding comments um so uh, dolores and katarina have kindly accepted to uh, provide their email so if anyone would like to um send them any questions then that is definitely an option um i just like to thank you both so much again for participating in this podcast um it was really lovely to chat to you and have you as our first guest on this series and um, i'm sure we'll be in touch soon thank you so much